Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the IC Old People podcast. I am Dr. Bruce, your host. It's November 15th, Sunday, November 15th. I am in Norfolk County, beautiful Norfolk County on the north shore of Lake Erie. We are having a terrific windstorm here today. Uh, thunder, lightning, uh, huge, huge gusts of wind warnings not to go near the lake. I'm quite far from the lake. I'm actually uh, about 15 kilometers uh, north of the lake, but the winds are very, very strong and the power is out. So I am doing today's podcast. I'm doing today's podcast by um, candlelight and flashlight. So uh, it's a nice and intimate. It's very, very quiet. Uh, The buzz of the electricity is gone. It's something I've become very, very sensitive to lately. I actually went and had my hearing checked last week, and my hearing has shown a bit of a loss. I am going to be 61 years old soon. It has shown a bit of a loss in the uh, high end, so higher sounds like a tweeting bird or a very, very high-pitched voice. I've lost a little bit of that, which might explain why I'm having so much trouble uh, hearing women when they're speaking through masks because this is the time of madness and uh, people are wearing masks everywhere now in Ontario. Uh, I actually got out of Winnipeg just in time. Winnipeg is closed right down. The gym I went to is closed. The music conservatory is closed. The zoo is closed to the public. Uh, Pretty much full lockdown in Winnipeg. And I imagine that Ontario is not going to be far behind. Uh, Ontario right now is in this stage where everyone is wearing a mask. It's uh, really, really something. 2020, the time of madness. I, I, no one could have ever predicted that this would be going on still. And not only is it going on still, but we are being told that it is going to get much, much worse. In fact, we have been told that it is going to be a very dark winter. So right now I am concerned with the power out in my home. Uh, I know I have many, many hours before my freezer is affected, but uh, I do have a freezer full of meat, frozen fruit. And uh, those two things, uh, I was hoping to make sure I always had a good supply going to go into this winter of darkness that we've been told about. The supply chain keeps getting threatened and more and more uh, supplies are becoming shorter and shorter so it's uh, it's difficult right now i wish i had a bigger freezer i wish i had more meat in it but i don't and uh, what i have is what i have so i do have a generator and i will resort to uh, firing up my generator just at least to keep my freezer frozen but i have several hours before i have to go to uh, to that kind of a drastic move Right now, the idea when you are in a situation like this is not to open your fridge, not to open your freezer, not to open your fridge. Try to keep the cold in and keep everything as well sealed as you can. I do have a gas stove, so the stovetop will work. Gas will work in a power outage, so I can cook some, have some warm supper later on. But it is really something when you, uh, when the power does go out in a home like this one, and you realize just how much background noise there really is out there. Just this little constant buzz. So I started out talking a little bit about masks. Masks are just frustrating the heck out of me. 
definite uh, affront to our personal freedoms. There was a mask walk, uh, anti-mask walk in Elmer, Ontario, which is about an hour from here. It's it's near London, Ontario. They had over 1,500 people show up to that. And that was really good because the whole town, I think, is the, the population of the town is 4,000 people. So they had people come in from Toronto and from London to bolster those numbers. So they had 1,500, which I believe is the biggest anti-mask protest that I have heard of anywhere in Canada, uh, more so than any anyone in Winnipeg or Toronto or Montreal or anywhere. I know in Europe they're very, very large, but in Canada we have just been uh, uh, just been doing what we've told and everyone's just putting them on. So who are these rebels from Elmer? I'll tell you, that they're what we call the Mexican Mennonites. Uh, now they're not really Mexican at all. They're actually German background. They are Mennonites that came from Germany because they were being persecuted by Germany at the turn of the century and they came to manitoba canada and they spent quite a bit of time in manitoba and then they started getting persecuted in manitoba and the reason they get persecuted is because they live in colonies and they want they have their own education system they're very very religious they're they're the ones that you see in the horse and buggies it's a big population of them of the amish uh, down in pennsylvania well this is kind of an offshoot a little more extreme a little more religious uh, and they're called they're called the mexican mennonites because they went from uh germany to manitoba they spent a lot of time in manitoba saskatchewan they started to get persecuted there so they moved to mexico they bought a bunch of land down in mexico didn't take them long before they started getting um, persecuted in Mexico and then they moved back up here into Canada and a lot of them live in southern Ontario so a lot of them uh, are farmers they work on farms they have their own farms they grow their own uh, foods uh, you can buy organic foods they sell furniture uh, we buy our chickens from them uh, uh, free range uh, and, uh, no, no NGOs uh, organic chickens. They're just a great group of people. They're very, very family orientated and they're very, very anti-medical, especially medical freedoms. Uh, they are the same group that about 30 years ago fought very, very hard for midwives to become legal in Ontario. So that is the type of health freedom that they represent is they, they wanted the right to have their own women deliver their own children within their own colonies where they were being forced to go to a hospital a government facility and have a medical doctor deliver their children because that was the law so they were instrumental in changing that law so they they viewed the fact that they could not have midwives as a, an affront to their medical freedom and they fought and fought and one of the highest users of midwives i myself i've used a midwife all four of my children were born by by midwives my two grandchildren were born by by midwives i can thank the mennonites the mexican mennonites for having that strong voice 30 years ago with midwives and i'm going to thank them again for having that strong voice again to stand out when they were being ridiculed. They were being ridiculed by the national press. They were, they, uh, the mayor of Elmer declared a state of emergency and had the whole town uh, pretty much locked down with OPP and SWAT teams all over the place. So those 1,500 people were really, really brave to be out there uh, and to voice their opinion during this time of madness. So what else has been going on? Oh yeah, I had something pretty exciting. I did something that I could have never, ever predicted in my life. Uh, I got a tattoo. I'm going to be 61 next week and I got my first tattoo. 
So when I was sitting in the, uh, the tattoo artist chair, he asked me what other tattoos I had when he was just uh, basically tracing on my legs, starting, starting to work. And I said, I don't have any other tattoos. This is my first one. And he looked right at me and he said, uh, does your wife think you've lost your mind? And I, I just laughed and I said, of course, uh, of course I did discuss it with her. No, she doesn't think I've lost my mind, but believe me, I would never be sitting in this chair without having talked to her first. So she was actually really, really good about it. I had a debridement done. I had a MRSA infection where I was basically flesh eating disease that was eating away at my calf. So about two years ago, I had to have a medical procedure called debridement, where they went in and they cut it, they cut all the dead flesh out of my calf. So it ended up being about an inch and a half in diameter, a round circular hole, and then it was about an inch and a half deep. So you easily could have put a golf ball in there. It was so big. I was completely amazed that it healed uh, I, I thought I will always have this hole in my leg from the size of that but you know after about a week 10 days the bottom of it started to kind of bubble up and then the sides started to collapse and it just started growing from the bottom upward and eventually it sealed off and it there's an indentation there but uh, certainly the fact that all of that flesh and tissue uh, healed was is just it, it makes you just it, you're in awe i'm in awe of how the human body could do that and i've been in healthcare for 35 years and to see that happen right there in my leg over the course of a few weeks all i did was pack it with gauze so that it wouldn't collapse in so that uh, it, it had a chance to grow uh, the tissues had a chance to grow and to re re repair itself so it was wonderful i was absolutely thrilled to uh, see it heal but over time and especially in the summer because i love being out in the sun i love getting my vitamin d and i'm out in the sun a lot and there were, the scar uh, has like a pink a pink flesh to the center of the scar and then a very very dark circle around it of skin uh, so it was it really stood out I, I didn't like it at all i didn't like how it looked i wasn't happy at all with it and I, and every time i was in shorts i was just self-confidence uh, my self-confidence wasn't very good whenever i looked at it i decided that the best thing for me to do was to try to cover it up so that I would be happier with it. So I have now a tattoo, my first tattoo on my calf. And what they did was they created a sun, basically a, a, the round circle from my debridement scar is a sun. And then around it is a large uh, largemouth bass, a fish, a sport fish that is jumping up and around. So it's kind of twisting around the sun. So I'm very, very happy with it. I, I feel like I've, uh, you know, done a tour of duty now that I've got this tattoo on my calf. And I mean, it's for, for a very first, ca uh, very first um, tattoo, it's no little, um, it's no little tiny tester one, you know, on my shoulder, the size of a quarter. I mean, this thing is big. This thing's about four and a half inches wide by about five inches um, tall. So it's a good deep. It's got a lot of detail. I just couldn't be, I couldn't be happier. Couldn't be happier with it. So I'm really thrilled about having my very first tattoo. So it was pretty exciting times. I'm also pretty thrilled that I've uh, hit the five months sober mark. I've uh, been five months since my relapse. As most of my uh, listeners are aware, I had had a good run of sobriety, almost a year and a half of sobriety before I relapsed at the beginning of the time of madness in March. And then I went on a three month uh, 
negative, destructive kind of bender of drinking that really, really affected me. I, I think I did more damage in that three months than I did in all the years before. So uh, I got back on the on the wagon though, and uh, it's been five months, and I'm really, really happy about that. Actually, I had a dinner party uh, last week, and it was the first dinner party that that I'd had in that my wife and I had had at our house in probably two years, probably from when the first when I first quit drinking almost two years ago in November of 2018. So we had some people over, and uh, and they were drinking. They were the people that we like to drink with. They were drinkers. We were drinkers. Uh, but anyway, I had them. I had them over, and. Uh, uh, I, I had some trepidation, but, you know, I got over it. I called my sponsor. I talked to my sponsor. My sponsor said, you know, it's not about uh, what people can give to you. It's about what you can give to people. And that really affected me. And I really thought that that was, those were wise words. So, you know, I went in with a smile on my face and I, and I ended up having a really, really good time. So the next morning I look in the recycling and there's three bottles of wine in there, three empties, three dead soldiers in the recycling. And it really, really made me think about uh, my drinking days, because if uh, if I had been drinking as well, there probably would have been six bottles in that recycling. There would have been six, and it wouldn't have meant that it wouldn't have meant that I had drank three more extra bottles of wine when no one else, when everyone else just had one. It would have meant that everybody would have drank more. I was a driver of drinking. I was always the one pouring the second glass. I was always the one, are you ready? Are you, are you ready for another one? I was always the one opening the next bottle. So everybody would have drank more. So instead of a nice normal evening, and a lot of people who listen to this might think that, you know, three bottles of wine for three people drinking, that sure seems excessive, you know, to somebody. But to really over the course of many hours, they were at our house from 6 p.m. until 10 p.m. It, it wasn't excessive. They certainly didn't leave drunk. There was no drunkenness. There was no repetitiveness. There was nothing like that. But if I had been drinking with them, there probably would have been. There would have been hangovers the next day. There would have been a cab having to be called. There would have been uh, drunkenness going on. And it's because I was such a driver of drinking. And I look back at my whole drinking career, and that's what I was doing. I was, I was a driver of drinking. And so now just by stopping for myself, I give myself, I, I have respect for myself by not drinking. And I give myself that gift of health by not drinking. But I'm also giving it to other people because they're drinking less around me. And that's really, really positive. So I'm really, really excited about uh, these kinds of insights that I'm starting to learn about myself. And, uh, you know, I can't be happier being sober for as long as I have been. So the one thing I am doing, though, because I am back in, uh, in Norfolk County and I'm back in my own house and I've got a full fridge and I've got a, a wife who likes to cook and she makes cookies and she likes to make brownies and she enjoys baking and she enjoys cooking. So there's always all this food around and I have slowly been putting weight on. I had gotten down to such a good weight. I had lost over 30 pounds when I was in Winnipeg and I was down to under 220, like un under 220 and I mean I, I usually am 250 plus I mean I the highest I ever was was 270 and I was under 220 well now I'm above 220 again and I want to make sure I try to stay there so I'm, I'm being very cautious and the main thing I'm doing now is trying not to eat at night because I was never eating at night before 
and now I find myself nibbling around at night looking for something to eat. So that's not good, and I'm not happy about that, but I want to get that under control. I want to stay around 220. If I could get down to 210, that would be fantastic. When you look at my BMI chart, I'm supposed to weigh 185, and you know I haven't weighed 185 since I was in high school, so that's how long that's been. I've been doing something else that I've really, really been enjoying is I've been volunteering. I've been volunteering at the local soup kitchen. And in, in our town, we serve uh, three mornings a week on uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And they serve uh, around 100 meals. Right now, because of the age of madness, nobody can come into the, into the dining room area where normally everyone would sit together and enjoy community and enjoy a nice hot meal. So now everything has to be done in takeout. So because of the age of madness now, we've actually, they've actually increased costs by about 50 cents per meal, which is packaging of the soup container, the container for the main entree, the container for the dessert. So it's basically usually some type of a protein, some vegetables, uh, maybe some mashed potatoes, a piece of buttered bread, a piece of cake or uh, a piece of pie, and then a soup of some type, always a good hearty soup. I went to volunteer. I just put my name in. I said, I, I'll help in the kitchen. I'll help packaging or whatever. I was really uh, just wanted to do something, just wanted to give back to do my step 12, give back to the community once I've, I've learned about how to take care of myself and, and how to live sober, how to help other people. Anyway, the, uh, the person who's in charge of it they looked at me and they said, uh, well, you know, we got a pretty good crew here. You know, there's not usually very many openings, but I'll put your name down. So I said, that's fine. I really appreciate it. I'm available all three of those mornings and uh, just let me know. As I'm driving home, I'm not even 10 minutes from, from there after talking to the uh, general manager. He calls me and he says, he says, Bruce, he says, I think you're really wasting your talents to just come and work in the kitchen or to come work as a server. He said, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to, to uh, shadow me, my, me, myself and my assistant Richard, uh, the two of us, shadow us, learn our jobs. And then if something happens to us where we have to, we can't make it or one of us gets sick, you can come in and you can take over. And then in the future, if you like it, because uh, he's 67, I'm just 61, he's got a few years on me, so, and he's got lots on the plate, this guy too. Uh, if in the future, maybe you want to just take it over altogether, he said, but I'm getting ahead of myself. I just want you to come in and learn, learn the job. So I've been learning uh, the management job as well as the assistant managing job. And I'm taking a food handler certificate course. I need because always somebody there has to have the food handler certificate course. Uh, so it's really exciting. I'm learning a lot. I'm enjoying what I'm doing, and uh, it's 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 a real pleasure. So yeah, this has been a real good news report. Uh, we're going into week two of the American election now without any solid results, and I've just kind of put that all aside. Uh, uh, before it happened, but at now that it's gone to this kind of non-decision and every day just drags into the nest, uh, the next I've just uh, I've just put it behind me. You know, whatever happens, happens. Uh, concentrate on what's going on here. Concentrate on what's happening with my wife, with my family, and uh, try to get through this time of madness. Try to get to the other side uh, with an intact family unit, with uh, safely. 
and uh, hopefully we're all going to get through this together. You know, I could go on and on for 20 minutes just talking about this uh, this terrible uh, situation that we're all in, but you, you, you guys all know, uh, regular listeners know how that was absolutely driving me crazy, so I had to put it behind me for my own mental health. So I'm feeling really good. I'm volunteering. I'm aging well. I'm, I'm, I'm exercising regularly, and, uh, and I got a tattoo. And I'm pretty thrilled about that. Yeah, that's it for this week. If you listen to the end, you know I, you know I love you, and I really, really appreciate you. So tune in again. My next uh, episode will be on or near my birthday, which is November 23rd, and I'll have been doing the podcast for one year, and we'll do kind of a year in review, and we'll see what's uh, what we have to say about that whole situation. So thank you. We'll see you, NT. We'll see you next time. And like I said. I really, really appreciate you. Thanks for dropping by.